The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Great to have you in on Wednesday. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal back at it. And you. Great to be in. Uh, one of the, the dominoes have dropped for college football from a scheduling announcement. We'll have that for you in just a moment. Uh, good stuff from Mike Babcock from HaleVarsity.com and Magazine in about 15 minutes. I, I am sad. It's been raining all day in eastern Nebraska, which means Mike Shuart from Wilderness Ridge may have melted if he's outside. We'll talk some golf with Shuey in 30 minutes, and then we'll get caught up on the Warren Academy and the showcase that was going on in uh, in Nebraska last weekend with the just tremendous talent uh, all across the state and some kids that came in from out of state for the uh, Warren Showcase, uh, Steve Warren with us in one hour. Cedric Golden, we'll talk bubble with Cedric. What happens on college campuses when kids come back? Does that uh, make things more tricky? Yes, for college football coaches that want a season. Can join us at 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. We'll dive into the Nebraska wide receiver room. Some good stuff from Matt Lubick with the network last night. And uh, let's talk schedules here first. And we've been waiting, and we weren't sure if we were going to get information from the ACC or the SEC today. And I, I think, and I believe this, uh, college football will move forward if the SEC says we're going to play ball. Well, they have not been the first to speak. It's been the ACC. And one of your leaders in college football has been Clemson. But the ACC announcing probably about 30, 35 minutes ago, again, the dreaded if. But this is part of the statement. If health guidance allows, fall sports going to begin the week of September 7th through the 12th. What's going to happen in football for the ACC? 11 games on the schedule, 10 conference, one out of conference. And then Notre Dame, Notre Dame, as Bino Cook used to say, they'll play a 10-game conference schedule, and they'll be eligible to compete for the 2020 ACC title game. So it's all, uh, it's all good, Elijah. The ACC is going to get some NBC money, and Notre Dame's going to get a schedule. And we get football. And we get bleeping football. That's the main thing here. But I mean, uh, Clemson. Uh, it, if, 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 if public health 
guidance allows. But but right now, uh, you look at the campuses and the regions in the ACC, (laughs) there's no public health director that says, yeah, sure, go tackle somebody and sweat on them. (laughs) Go, go Go exchange some spit. It'll work out okay. Listen, but, but uh, at the moment we're looking at Clemson going to South Bend and playing Notre Dame, and then they could rematch. I mean, how much fun would that be? How much fun would it be if Notre Dame, in their first year in the ACC, but also not technically in the ACC, winning the ACC crown? It's funny to see Notre Dame tied down. They've been dating for a long time, but now they need a conference. And quite honestly, I'm not, I'm not there to hate Notre Dame. I, I'm far from in love with Notre Dame. I enjoyed my trip there when Nebraska took over. 20 years ago. God, I'm old. But I'll tell you this, uh, they are they are interesting, and I think Coach Kelly's done a good job. I, mean, I think Notre Dame's a good football program, and, and he is – that is the it, – it's in the top three of toughest places to coach because you got to win or they'll pull the trigger on you in short order. End of discussion. And you're a northern school. you got to nationally recruit. You've got insane – academic requirements, and you've always had a pretty fun schedule, whether it be uh, a Notre Dame v. Clemson, a Notre Dame versus Florida State, a Notre Dame against Miami. I mean, Notre Dame's got North Carolina, too, on the road this year. Mac Brown's going to have a squad again. And, and then typically they'll have USC and Michigan and Michigan State or Purdue or, I mean, go down the list. Michigan, Notre Dame's schedule is always fun to see them try and survive it, or to see them get knocked off by a Boston College or a Northwestern. So the good news here is you are going to have the ACC, and they are going to play 10 games plus one, and that will probably be your in-state SEC-ACC rivalry game. So you get Kentucky-Louisville, so you get Florida State-Miami, so you get or or florida Miami. I don't think they're playing each other, though. But you'll get your Florida State, Miami. Uh, that that's going to happen anyway because they're both in the ACC. But you'll have one of those non-conference round robins, presumably, whether it's Florida v. Uh, Florida State or Florida, well, Florida versus Florida State. That's that's your end of the season rivalry game, in-state game. You have Georgia, Georgia Tech, SEC, ACC. You'll have Clemson, South Carolina, SEC, ACC. So that is working. So what happens next with the uh, the SEC? Does the SEC move forward and do a 10-game only conference schedule? That is the rumor with the SEC. Their athletic directors are talking it over today. It'll be presented to the school president's Tomorrow, they may announce tomorrow, the SEC may announce tomorrow that they're just doing a 10-game only conference schedule, or they may wait a week. It's fluid, as our friends from Sports Illustrated are reporting. So good, we have college football. That is the here and now, the ACC, the first to jump in the pool, say we're going to do a 10 plus 1, 11 games max. Thank you for coming. The SEC, good. That's going to be fun because you've got your eight-game schedule. Now they're going plus two from eight to ten. And, and maybe that includes uh, some of those rivalry options like we touched on between the ACC and the SEC. So up next is going to be some sort of Big Ten announcement and schedule configuration. 
this is a this is a marriage of convenience for Notre Dame. It's going to work out. They're going to have a fun schedule, and if they uh, are good enough, they could they could be playing uh, in December in the SEC championship game. Good. This is positive. This is positive. A delay today or tomorrow, or the putting off till next week, that would have made me more worried. We at least have some something down on paper now. Let's talk about uh, projections a little bit and get into uh, Nebraska football, the wide receiver room. All right, grade me your your level of excitement with uh, with the Nebraska wide receiver room. Uh, I'm going to go seven. So the the top of the room, I think I have a lot of excitement for. Okay. Um, but but some of the depth, I. Uh, it's kind of show me time. Like the Cade Warners, show me. Okay. But I mean, with Yolante Browns and Wandale coming back, mm-hmm. Omar Manning, I, I'd, I'd probably put around at a seven or an eight with you. Okay. Listen, I, I don't doubt Cade Warner at all. Is he the most athletically gifted guy they've got in the room? No. Is he a guy that's probably got the most confidence? I'd say yeah, because he's played a couple of years. Is he the toughest guy they got in the room? I wouldn't put it past him because of how he tried to gut out things last year. Mm-hmm. And and I think a major part of the struggles you had in the passing game last year, I mean, you had J.D. dealing with his stuff. As, as well as he performed on Saturdays, he was still dealing with stuff. And then who? I mean, who did you trust in the wide receiver room? You didn't get a lot of passes to Jack Stoll. That's not a wide receiver, but you get my point. It's a pass catcher. What what are you, what what were your options and your security blanket? Uh, your Cade Warner that Adrian's gone to a lot. If you go back twenty eighteen, he wasn't there. He wasn't there as often as he wanted to be because he was dinged, and he tried to get on the field. So I'm I'm up to a seven in optimism for the wide receivers, just because you've got such an assortment of options and talent. Now, the problem is, do you have, how many Wandale and Warners do you have in that room? And what I mean by that, guys that you know are physically gifted, but can they pick it up and then can they play fast? Uh, Coach Lubick gushed about Wandale Robinson last night, deservedly so because of how he came in. I mean, the guy knew he had a job to do. The guy was physically ready, but he got himself mentally ready. And by the way, he did it for two positions. Part of that was out of need and necessity. The other part of it was, this kid's really good. He came in D1 ready, ahead of the curve, so to speak, physically and then mentally. Smart football IQ guy with insane talent and quicks. You've got a smart football IQ guy in Warner that just finds a way to get it done. And I'm not knocking his athleticism. I think he's super talented. And he he just gets it done, man. I mean, he's kind of a throwback Husker. Just find a way. Uh, So you have a guy like Warner and Wandale, and then you have other options. The guy we're all really interested in because of the hype is, is Omar Manning. And again, this is Coach Lubick last night with the network. Uh, and, and part of this discussion was on the, the Division One, the, the the transfer and transition. And Manning's a guy who's played college football before going to JUCO, so he knows what major college football is about. But it just it just varies, right? It's not always just seamless. Guys just can't come in and start kicking butt. There is 
a learning curve. Here is Coach Lubick. It's really hit and miss. You know, I've been fortunate. I've been around guys like uh, Chad Johnson, TJ Huzmanzada. Those guys were both Pro Bowl guys that they came in, they're still learning curve. It's, you can't assume they just know your offense. Um, you know, sometimes they're a little bit more mature and they, they know what college balls are like and they, and and work and they play at a little higher level. At the end of the day, they're still clean slate like a freshman, and that you got to teach them their offense. You know, sometimes just physically they're a little more developed, but it's really hit and miss. It, it, it's tough to say. You know, not and you see guys like Wandell, who you know he's a guy fresh out of high school and comes in and you know one of the better freshmen in the country. So whether it's a JC guy. Or whether it's a high school guy, it's really an individual case on how fast they can learn it and, and confidence. And then we'll get to that confidence thing. Do you know what you're doing? And do you feel good about what you're doing in this offense? That's the flat out reality. Are guys knowing what they're supposed to do? Are they in the right spots? Are they doing their job? And are they really good at their job? It is going to take reps. It'll take reps for Manning. It'll take reps for Houston. It'll take reps for Nance. You've got you've got the dudes there, okay? You've got to get them ready. And you have been severely hampered to do that because of stupid COVID and no spring football and limited contact until you get this mini camp and then you'll get into fall camp. But... What are guys doing on their own? And it helps having a guy like Warner and Wandale in that room to say, here's what we need to do and follow me. Let's go Charlie Steiner and say, follow me to freedom, right? This helps. This is part of my optimism because you've got a couple of dudes. You've got a hungry Warner that, that's going to play ball and do things the right way and show guys how to do it. you got a talent in Wandale. And now you have other guys that are going to get in line. And if they're not going to get in line, and I'm not saying they won't, but I'm saying if you don't have guys that can get in line, there's enough talent in that room, you're going to be left behind. And it's and it's a deep room. I mean, you've got Nixon, you've got Houston, you've got uh, Nance, you've got Wandale, you've got Hickman, you've got Warner, you've got Manning, you've got Betts, you've got Brown. I know Nixon's dinged, but I mean, we just rattled off really nice option at wide receiver. Yeah, so many guys where you, you hear the name and you go, yeah, I was excited for this guy coming in. I mean, when this guy committed, I was excited. It's time for them to show, but the potential's there. Well, and I think like some of the incoming freshmen, like true freshmen this year from the receiving core, we'll see how quickly they get acclimated and what's what's their what's their learning curve like and when do they when does it click for them? Right. When does it click for him? I think the expectation is for it to click with with a guy like Omar Manning immediately. A guy that's been in another Division One offense and a guy who spent a lot of time in JUCO developing his talents. Yeah, I agree. He's seen a lot of different concepts. But that that's you just heard Lubick say that's not always the case. No. More from Lubick on, you know, it's not the most talented guys that you, that necessarily see the field. Guys that that, that get it down. You know, getting those guys' confidence is getting them reps and giving them some success because that's the other thing. It's not always the most talented guy that plays the fastest. I tell these guys that all the time. It's the guy that can learn it, you know, and, and have confidence and go out there. And, and you have to do a little extra on your own, really, to, to catch up and get up to speed with everybody else. That's that's going to be key, and that'll be key with Lubick. He'll go with who he trusts. Adrian's going to throw the football to who he trusts. 
and the guys know what they're doing. Are they are they great blockers? Are they great pass catchers? Do they know the routes? Have they been studying the playbook all offseason? Do they get open? Mm-hmm. What what's the interaction been like during this offseason? What what was able to be done to get everybody on the same page and at least up to some speed? So I'm I'm high on the wide receiver room. There's so much talent in there. And they have been hampered by the amount of reps that can physically be done with no spring ball. That said, guys hopefully can come in. They can go ball. And uh, you've got a couple of targets for sure, right, with Wandale and a healthy Cade Warner. We'll talk some more Nebraska football with Mike Babcock, some of his expectations for the wide receiver room, get his reaction to the ACC and what happens with the SEC. Great to have you. Steve Warren is less than an hour away. The Warren Academy, his take on what a just tremendous showcase weekend he had. That's after 5 o'clock. Hail Varsity continues. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And we're back. Fellas, think we could listen to the radio? On Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! I think the most appropriate gif I have seen while scrolling Twitter on Notre Dame and Notre Dame fans, if they make the ACC championship, is uh, a quick little screenshot from Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David kind of just shrugging. It's like he's not impressed. I wonder how Notre Dame feels about, hey, you're one of us now. And Notre Dame's like, yeah, we're just renting. Sorry, we're not buying. Let's talk some college football. Mike Babcock with us. Set MD Babs on Twitter's where you follow him. You read him with HaleVarsity.com and Magazine. Babbers, what do you think of the ACC moving forward? Well, uh, it, it's all dependent, right? Isn't, isn't that there's, the key phrase There's there? that dirty word, if. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing that still has me believing that uh, – uh, the chances are not good that the, that we're going to play. I think we, you know, in, in the mailbag today, there was one of the questions that was related to that. How the NFL, you know, there are a lot of NFL, or, well, there are NFL players that are opting out, mm-hmm. you know, that they, because of the pandemic, and and uh, I really think that the NFL part of the part of what the NFL will do is model of, you know, use the uh, Major League Baseball and the NBA as a model and see where things go with that. And, you know, if the NFL decides to back off, then I think college football is going to back off. I, it, I think it's more of a – that just dependent, that if is, is, an, is an important word in any decision that you see here. And, uh, you know, I think that's the key right there is that uh, – if depends upon what the uh, what the situation is at the time. You know, it's it's good to have a plan mm-hmm. to move forward, but uh, boy, you throw that uh, all caps if in there, and and uh, you have to temper your enthusiasm a little bit. Well, at least we're we're still not waiting on a schedule or a plan, right? right. The longer you wait on a schedule or a plan. The, the more likelihood that, that this thing is punted. So there's why I'm smiling. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it's Christmas morning for me. Okay. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's better than the alternative where we're just shutting everything down. I'll say this. I think the, the, the struggle with the NFL will play. 
Uh, you the, think the, the NFL will, huh? I, I do. The, the problem the NFL is going to have is what Major League Baseball's been jacking with, and that's the, there's no bubble, right? I mean, you, you have the opportunity in the NFL to have some 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 hub cities. That's not happened, okay? So I think getting pro athletes to be in a bubble is going to freak them out, aside from the NBA. The NBA's done it, and the NHL's done it. I think part of baseball's problem is the fact they didn't have a bubble. Yeah, and 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 right now you've got a you've got a bad situation because of the Marlins mm-hmm. and uh, the impact that that's had and how that's affected the schedule. And you've got what sixty six days to play sixty games, and you get something like that. And apparently there there were people that knew about it, um, and they went ahead. And uh, you know, I just I look at the NFL. The NFL is, uh, as you pointed out, and as obvious, I guess, is that it's just more physical mm-hmm. uh, than these other sports. In the same way, with, obviously, so college football has more of a, to consider in, in whether you want to move forward. And you know, I, I think college kids are college kids. You know, it's it's, it's going to be difficult for them to be in any kind of a bubble uh, situation because. Uh, um, just is. I mean, it takes a tremendous commitment. Yeah, you, and and there there's talk. You know, I don't know how far this has gone, but talk about limiting rosters and mm-hmm. and numbers of guys, so it's easier to control. But you know, you think about the the amount of tests that have to be conducted, and uh, the sort of self discipline that the student athlete has to have in order to play the play. Um, I remain skeptical, but. I accept your uh, position. I think it's better to have a plan and to identify this is what we're going to do if we're able to, mm-hmm. um, than to sit around and just uh, to hedge, you know, to to not do anything. Um, because then that, I think, really uh, uh, increases the chances that you're not going to be able to play if you if you're going to just keep putting it off. Um, make a schedule. Get an idea of what you want to do. And then uh, use uh, use the context of the time to decide whether you're going to go forward or not. Mike Babcock with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Mike, you mentioned the NFL players that are sitting out this upcoming season. Damian Williams just announced actually running back for the Chiefs. Um, but I saw that Virginia Tech cornerback Caleb Farley, he's a projected first-round pick next year in the NFL draft, he's decided he's going to sit out of this upcoming college football season, assuming that there is a season. Um, but are you surprised that it took this long for us to get the first college football player to decide he's going to sit out? No, because I think there's a, there's so much uncertainty about you know where things stand, and I you know I think guys haven't really haven't really thought about it a lot until there's talk about what the NFL is doing. Um, but you know I think that's going to be one of the things you have to consider too is that there there are uh, collegiate uh, student athletes again that that have aspirations. A lot of them do, obviously. Uh, to play in the NFL, and they're going to look at it and say, "Well, do I do I impede my chances of of playing in the NFL or being a high round draft pick or whatever uh, by not playing, or am I better off playing?" I mean, it's it's a difficult question. I think if you don't play, um, then you're out of it for a for an entire season. Um, and if the NFL is playing, uh, how difficult is that for you? I mean, it did. It doesn't surprise me because it's it's really a difficult question for those uh, for those student athletes to answer um, what they want to do. 
Mike Babcock's with us. Uh, Adam D. Babs on Twitter is where you follow Mike, and you read him with HaleVarsity.com and Magazine. Babbers, I want to go to Nebraska football and enjoyed Coach Lubick uh, last night on the network. Uh, a thought, how much, in your opinion, did, did Nebraska miss a Cade Warner? How much did Adrian miss a Cade Warner? How much did the offense miss a Cade Warner, who was battling injury last season? Well, I've always said this, and I've, you know, I, I really feel that he's a good player. I mean, he is... He is so reliable. He knows what he's supposed to do. He's in the right position at the right time. And, you know, he, he's the guy that maybe he's not going to stretch the field for you or anything, but, but he's, the, he's the guy that, uh, uh, that you can go to and know where he is if there's, another, if there's not another choice, another decision to be made. So, I, you know, I think that Nebraska missed him a lot um, when he was hurt when he didn't have the opportunity to be out there. And I think, you know, we're seeing that from what uh, Coach Lubick said, you know, about the leadership that he provides in that room. I I just think that he's an underappreciated receiver um, because he's he's not flashy. You know, he's walked on. um, And uh, uh, I I just think that a healthy Cade Warner is is really important to what Nebraska wants to do uh, with wide receivers. Couple of names in that receiver room. You're you're anxious to see my my. You know, we were talking to start the show. My level of optimism, excitement for the wide receiver room. Uh, they've they've gone from one end of the spectrum where there was a couple of choices last year to man. There's a lot of choices this year. I mean, clearly, guys got to learn it and get comfortable and get confident. It just doesn't happen overnight, and it's been kind of a uh, a stymied. Uh, development phase with with no spring ball and an issue with uh, with being able to work out because of this pandemic. That said, man, I think there's a lot of options at wide receiver, and I don't know that everyone's Wandale or Cade when it comes to understanding the offense or coming and hitting the ground rubbing, running. But I think there's there's some there's enough choices there to to field a really good receiving core, don't you, Mike? Uh, yeah, I think there is. I think the potential is there. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Omar Manning. I, you know, I think he's going to have a, uh, an immediate impact. I, I would have liked to have seen J.D. Spielman come back with Nebraska, um, because then you've got uh, you've got Wandale, J.D. and and uh, Cade Warner. But you, you know, that that's a good place to start, and then you can work those guys in as they become accustomed to to the system. But um, don't have that option, so um, I'm looking forward to again, especially Omar Manning. But, but there's a lot of talent there, and you know, Betts, uh, Xavier Betts. You know, I think he he's a guy that could could be uh, have an immediate impact. Um, but there are probably other guys there that are in the same situation, um, and you know, that's where whatever semblance of a fall camp there is, um, that's going to be really important for those guys because they don't have experience in the system. They don't have experience here. They're adjusting. Um, and there's always a period of adjustment. It's, it's difficult. You know, a guy like Wandale, you know, that's pretty remarkable what he did immediately. Um, but uh, that's the exception rather than the rule, I think. And so the talent you're talking about has, has some things to prove and has some adjustment to make before, uh, before you can really say, yeah, that's... Uh, uh, that's what a, we thought it was going to be. Mike, which guys do you most want to see performing out in the field this year? I know there's been a lot of hype coming into the season, but if you could pick a few guys that you are most excited to see perform, who would you pick? 
A wide receiver you're talking about? Yeah, wide receiver. Yeah, I th- like I said, Manning. I, I, I really think Manning, he's got size, and uh, I just think he's got a great upside there. Um, and, and and bets. I'm and I you know I'm not saying necessarily that he wouldn't redshirt, but but I think that he has an opportunity to step in there. And you know Jamie Nance was was already here. I'm uh, you know I think there's a there's potential for him uh, to see something out of him. So you know that's probably the probably the main guys that I'm looking at. But Alante Brown and I'm going to Will Nixon. I'm, you guys mentioned him. I'm going to start forgetting people but uh, <laughs> There's um, a lot to mention yeah there are a lot but but I'm gonna start with uh, I'm gonna start with Manning you know I, I just want to see what he can what he can do Babbers I've got less than a minute uh, were you saddened to see that the people were throwing at several Astros players yeah yeah I was really uh, okay. um, good for you yeah 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 I, I was I don't want to see that kind of behavior at all I mean I, um, it's just uh, that's not the way we should be in any in any aspect of our life. I don't think that that's not the way we should be. Joe Kelly received an eight-game suspension by the MLB. Is that high to you, or does that seem about right? Uh, you know, I don't really have a sense of it. We're talking about sixty-game schedule, right? So <laughs> that's that's freaking high. It's, but it's the equivalent of a twenty-two game suspension. Well, it's a warning. Season. No, no more is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's fairly significant, I'd say. You know, that's probably appropriate. <laughs> Joe, you get to watch. There you go. Babbers, awesome to chat with you. Thanks for spending some time on football with us today, and we'll run you down next week, man. Have a safe and healthy week, okay? Be safe, guys. Great talking to you. All right, there he is, Mike Babcock, historian, author, Hall of Famer, and exclusively with Hale Varsity Magazine, HaleVarsity.com, at MDBabs on Twitter. We will head to the golf course. We get the old rain poncho out. Shuey is coming up. Steve Warren and Cedric Golden next hour. Hail Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And now. And now, back to Hail Varsity Radio. Thanks for hanging out. Steve Warren, 20 minutes away. Warren Academy, we welcome in with Wilderness Ridge. Mike Shuhart is checking in from the golf course. Uh, Shuey, you got a poncho on? Did we lose him? Hello, Mike Shuhart. I'll dial him back up. We that'd had be, him for a second. That'd be good. Yeah. That was set up, and I was all anxious to hear about Shuey's poncho in the rain. Like that scene in, in uh, we don't want that scene in Caddyshack, where I think it was the priest who got electrocuted. But Shuey's smarter than that. He will not shake a metal object with thunderstorm clouds in the area. That is, uh, we got him? Shuey, do you have us, buddy? How are you? I'm good, you? I'm good. Are you melting, brother? No, it's not too bad. The rain quit finally, so it's uh, not too bad out now. I need to come see you. I had the worst round of my life. Awesome experience at Wilderness Ridge Sunday. But I played. I, know, I saw you getting ready to go. Man, I should have stayed in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> I couldn't swing through everything. I think I lost 15 balls. I, I kid you not. I oh was, no! Oh, I was hurting. I'm uh, fat and lazy. Need to need. I need getting shaped up by Shuey. So there you go. Yeah, uh, it was it was a rough one Sunday, but it was I was golfing and I was and I was enjoying it. So That's talk right. to me here about the 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 Divot Dogs, my friend, uh, and and how things have kind of navigated this uh, this summer session with those kids. I see the the social media updates, man. It looks like your kids are having a fun time. 
Yeah, they're doing great. Uh, we're about done. We had our last practice last week. We have uh, they have a tournament. They have two tournaments left. They have one tomorrow, and uh, I think they have one up in Fremont. So season fast went fast. It's already over, but they've had a great season. We've had a lot of teams, a lot of kids play really well this year. So um, it's fun. Been a lot different. I mean, they ch- kind of changed the format and what it is. So uh, we did the best we could with what we had. Well, that's, you know, so the kids had a good time. The format was shifted, like you said, but they were able to lock in, got a roll with the punches. That's kind of the name of sports in, in 2020, isn't it? What's your take here on, on Tiger? Let's go to the PGA, and he's not going to be in Memphis a week out from the PGA Championship. And I know we always kind of spend time and talk Tiger, but I'm interested in – in your take, uh, when it comes to uh, how selective Tiger has been, is it is it just been a health and safety thing for him, or is he just still trying to kind of ease back in? Uh, I think a combination of both. I think he has to definitely have a lot different schedule than he used to because of his health, his age, all that stuff like that. You know, I think he played at the Memorial to kind of gauge where he was at, what he needed to do to get himself ready for the majors you know he'll focus a lot on the majors um, because it's him trying to break the records and Mm -hmm. and that and it's i mean those are the big tournaments for him you're not going to see him play a lot of other tournaments uh throughout the year other than the majors and he'll play a few tournaments and use those tournaments kind of uh to get a feel for where his game is and what he needs to do in preparation you know to give him the best chance to win his majors what do you look forward to this weekend in, in Memphis and as far as the, the lead up here to, to the to the PGA? Uh, you'll see some guys that are just some guys that haven't played all that well. I think you'll see them step their game up like a Brooks. Um, you know, he's probably had a little disappointing start to the season, but you can see him start to round into shape. Each week he's played better and better and better. You know, and those guys, majors, and get them a little more excited. You know, when a major comes around, it's like the, that's what your top players, that's that's what they focus on basically throughout the year is to win a major because winning a major is a lot more important than just winning a regular tour event. Not that that's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. but majors are what they're after, you know, because that's kind of sets them apart from everybody else, and they, they really kind of gear their game up for the majors. Mike Shuart's with us, Wilderness Ridge Golf. We catch up with Shuey every Wednesday at 440. Shuey, what was it like for you? You played in uh, several majors. Uh-huh. How, how, was, how, was your, how was your attitude? How was your focus? What were your nerves like as you headed in? Uh, they were super exciting. I mean, super nerve-wracking. <laughs> not used to playing or um, you know, with all those people around, obviously it's a little bit different. But it's just, it's a major, you know. That's, that's as high as it gets. You know, you put yourself in a position at the at the highest level against the best players, so it's it's pretty nerve-wracking. But at the same time, it's really exciting because, you know, you get to experience all of the things that go along with playing in a major, and it gets to test you. I mean, and it will test you. I mean, they set those golf courses up super hard. I mean, they have. They're long golf courses, they have hard, fast greens, they have thick rough, and it's like if you are off a little bit, you're going to pay the price, you know, but at the same time, I mean, it challenges you, it narrows your focus in, uh, you know, trying to navigate what's out there in front of you, 
it is really hard. People don't realize how hard it really is. I mean, it's it's not like going out and playing Wilderness Ridge on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Man, it's a little bit different than that. <laughs> so did it did it bolster your confidence, or did it punch you in the face? Uh. It did both, man. It punched me in the face really hard a bunch of times, you know. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it, it motivated me more to to elevate my game to be able to get back and and try to compete at at in a at a venue like that in the competition like that. And each time I got there, I got better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's just so hard. I mean. For a guy like myself that doesn't, that's not playing consistently out there, leading up to that, and then all of a sudden put yourself in that environment, you know. So it's like it's something you need to, you need to put yourself in that environment a lot, so you get a little more comfortable with it. You know, just like anything, you you have to learn how to get comfortable when you're uncomfortable, mm-hmm. which is really weird because you're pretty much uncomfortable the whole time. So it's like uh, how comfortable you can get when you're super uncomfortable. And Should we, who'd, always, who'd you lean on advice wise? I mean, were you able to go talk to some folks or is it even like that in the world of golf? Yeah, I had guys that I had known and met and played practice rounds with. I know I played with uh, Zach Johnson at one of my majors. We played in a practice round. I'd met Zach over the years. So we went out and played a practice round and numerous other guys that had been around and had success out there. Stuart Sink and guy named Kurt Triplett and a bunch of other guys that it was fun just to catch up with them. Stuart Appleby guys to catch up with and play. And it, that helped a lot, you know, cause it, and they were really good. You know, they were like, you were one of the guys that were, you know, out there playing. So that helped a lot. Mike Shuart, Wilderness Ridge golf. Shuey, uh, let's talk fit Friday. Got about 30 seconds. And also, uh, you know, Course is open for folks uh, sneaking some yeah, golf before this football season happens, right? Yeah. Is the football season going to happen? Well, yeah, Notre Dame's, uh, uh, I guess we'll say, engaged <laughs> to the ACC. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. So, yeah, we have we have a fit Friday, not this Friday, but the following Friday. So, call out and schedule a time. So, we're going to do a fit Friday that Friday and uh, come out and play some golf, man. It sounds like the weather's going to be beautiful this week. So, not hot and humid. So, no better time to get out on the golf course and play. Well, we're excited, too. Going to be out at Wilderness on the Deck the 28th of August for a live but road that, show with Hale Varsity. That's going to be so fun. We're going to have Shuey, man. Can't wait to see you. And uh, depending on Junior's baseball schedule, I might see you this weekend. But thanks again for jumping All right, on. man. You bet. Thanks for having me. All right. Mike Shuart with us on Hale Varsity. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Coming up, Steve Warren, Warren Academy. How is the weekend showcase and uh, the aspects of recruiting? That is coming up with Steve Warren. We'll spend some time with Cedric Golden, the NFL and reality of a college football bubble. Once kids return to campus, the jock docs on the way. Elijah Herbal, you can check him out on Twitter at Herbal Essence. Chris Schmidt at Schmidt underscore radio. Are you going to do a new... Uh, uh, posting on your Twitter with 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 a, a stash picture. I don't know because you're you've you've just you just had the stash going. You look like a mid eighties uh, guy trying out for for acting. Uh, some cute girls follow me on Twitter. Though. I'm not sure if I'm ready to show this off yet. Well, haven't you seen him in person? 
Well, I mean, yeah, but not without the mustache. Not with the mustache. Ah, it's, so you've been totally socially easy. distant. Yeah, obviously. The mustache has helped with that. I mean, maybe if I pull off like a sick Fu Manchu, maybe like, maybe then that go on See, the, Fu, the, the rule of thumb, every dude that's got a Fu Manchu, you got to have the soul patch below the bottom lip, uh-huh. and then you got to have a toothpick in your mouth. See, I can get the soul patch going. And then just shave your head. Oh, no. Just go with the Fu Manchu, the soul patch, and get a toothpick. My mom, back in like fifth grade, shaved my head, and it was the worst look I've ever had. <laughs> and I still don't forgive her for that. She's like, you're going to be so much happier. Not no, you won't. no, you won't. You and Scotty Pippen both resent getting your head shaved. <laughs> and now I get older. I'm like, I get it now. Like You didn't want to deal with haircuts and all yeah, that. Like, I get it. Shave the head. But man, did I get made fun of. <laughs> <laughs> Were you bigger and heavier than oh. most kids? Oh, yeah. So you just beat the hell out of them. Once you caught him. Uh, if I could catch him. Okay. If I could catch that him. Was a, that was a real issue. Uh, yeah. Um, it's okay. We were all husky once. I mean, like, back in, like, I remember third, fourth grade, I was I was a double dot back in football. I remember the midget football grading <laughs> system. <laughs> so they wouldn't, let, they wouldn't let you near the, the post-game fruit snacks, and they wouldn't let you anywhere near the uh, the ball. <laughs> yeah, no, they would put me on the offensive line, and when you're a double dot, they only let you play one side of the ball because you can't be too dominant, I guess. Dude, did that make you weep? No, but it really made me mad. That's, so why, you just, that's why I got good um, at offensive line. Is loaded because, on people. It's because back in the day, they're like, you can only play one way. You want to play offense or defense? You were a double dot. (laughs) Yeah, right. I was like 110, 115 pounds, like third grade. Chubbs, you're playing nose tackle and shut up. I swear it was all muscle back in third grade. Dude, we all were flabby and sharp haze when we were in third grade. It was okay. You just sprouted upward. It's okay. Uh, moving. Uh, maybe it's happening for you. If so, West Blue Realty is going to take care of you on that. They take care of folks uh, with residential home sales in Lincoln and the surrounding areas. WestBlueRealty.com. Two names you need to know when it comes to moving. Tom Luby, Kelly Hofschneider. Give Tom a shout at 402-540-3768. Kelly Hofschneider can give Kelly a call at 402-202-2312. WestBlueRealty.com. If you're moving, if you're looking for some, um, some property, some residential sales, or looking for that house, uh, WestBlueRealty.com, 1120 K Street, Suite 200. And you mentioned Hale Varsity. They can provide you up to $1,000 off the closing of your next home purchase. So think about WestBlueRealty.com. Shooter McGavin has just weighed in on the whole Joe Kelly suspension. Shooter McGavin tells us that Kelly needs to order an Astros jersey and wear it for the rest of the season. That way he doesn't have to worry about being suspended. (laughs) It is sad that Kelly was the first player to be suspended in wake of this Astros cheating scandal. It was for throwing at the Astros. Yeah, eight games. That equals like 22. Steve Warren is up next on Hale Varsity. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. 
Back into it at Tower 2 at Tail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Let's get caught up with uh, former Husker standout, guy who does so much in the community with the Dream Foundation and the Warren Academy. Steve Warren with this big old number 96. Steve, what's good, man? How you doing? I'm doing well, Chris. How about yourself? I'm, I can't complain. Just living the dream right now. Well, good for you, man. And I wanted to get caught up with you after the, uh, the showcase this past weekend. And I want to go back to your experience. You're a guy who, who got a scholarship to Nebraska. But as you were growing up, what was your own exposure like for college football programs? I mean, how did how did how were you able to get on Nebraska's radar, other teams' radar, where you grew up? Oh, back then it was it was way different than these kids experience now. Like we didn't have Snapchat or Twitter or Instagram to kind of post things instantly. You know, everything back then was VHS tapes. So we <laughs> sent out our tapes. Uh, we sent out our tapes. We went to camp. Coaches did a lot more foot traffic than they had to do today. You know, they had to they had to physically go see kids a lot more and sooner. It, it was a lot different experience. But you know, it's one of those things that you're. We always tell kids if you're a good player, they'll find you. Steve Warren is with us. How uh, soon did you get on Nebraska's radar and who were some other schools that were interested in you? Uh, it, it was pretty soon. My Actually, my first letter um, and my first kind of uh, a recruitment experience, I was a sophomore in high school and the University of Tennessee was very the, the very first school that contacted me. And I was kind of shocked. I was sitting in class and a letter comes, you know, to my desk and it's a big orange bright letter and it's Tennessee and, you know, I'm just a sophomore in high school at the time so I don't have a clue what the hell is going on. <laughs> Um, and why they're contacting me. But then after that, it just kept rolling. It was school after school, and Nebraska jumped on pretty soon, not too far after that, my sophomore year, and started started contacting me. And from there, it just kind of rolled. You know, of course, Missouri, being from Missouri, Illinois, all the big eight, soon to be big 12 teams for the most part, Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, they, they all contacted me at some point and, and recruited me. And then, you know, as far down as, as Alabama. That's impressive. Did that letter sing Rocky Top or was it just a big old <laughs> orange, orange uh, back, t- eight by ten? Back then it was... Back then, it was more of like a form letter, you know, like you've been identified as one of the top kids in your class, and um, you know, can you send us your height, weight, measurements, and everything was pen and paper too. That was the other thing is, it was pen and paper and fax machine. So that's how we that's how we communicated, or, or, or by regular house phone, which is way different than today. You know, nobody's got house phones anymore for the most part. So it was it was. Uh, it was, it, was, it was interesting. It's interesting to see in the last 20-plus years how things have changed. Yeah, Steve Warren, what's a landline, right? Uh, so let's, uh, <laughs> let's, yeah. let's uh, kind of zoom out now to, to what Warren Academy is and, and kind of your, your mission for it. And, and listen, you, you've always cared about people, and uh, you've done that through mentoring. Yeah. You've done that through Dream. You're doing that with kids uh, when it comes to their training. And what what did Saturday mean to you? And, and kind of take us through getting ready for it because it had to be just incredibly stressful based on the pandemic we're facing. I mean, it's it's not a normal year, obviously. No, not a normal year. The good thing for us is that with training and the academy having – 
um, facilities already running and operating, and we were already having kids coming in and out, parents in and out. We had procedures in place to help them, to help protect them, to help protect ourselves. Uh, you know, masks were required by our coaches um, and anybody that was coming into the building. Um, we had most of the stuff. We, you know, we checked temperatures as they walked through the door. We went through the COVID checklist with every person that came through the door. So we already had those procedures in place just because we've already been doing it. It's something that we do every day right now. That part wasn't as stressful for us. It was really just making sure that we were that we were doing what we were supposed to be doing. Steve Warren's with us. Few minutes, Hale Varsity Radio, the Warren Academy Showcase this past weekend. Steve, you, you've trained a lot of kids that have gone on to to their dream and that's to play college football at different spots and at what point did you notice that there is so much area talent i mean you've got some really high profile kids in in the the metro region in in the surrounding omaha area and then the state of nebraska and and even some surrounding states but at what point during the the warren academy or, or your involvement in training did you did you see this uptick this explosion because it feels like Quite honestly, you know, being around, being from Nebraska, you had a lot of local high-level talent 20, 25 years ago. It feels like this is kind of a 2.0 of that with so many really high-level kids in this area. It, it is it is really taken off in the last few years with the with the amount of talent that is coming out of the area. Of course, you got the kids coming to just across the river in Iowa there. And then, you know, Lincoln's always had a, a good pool of talent. And Omaha is just developing more and more talent. I, I think it's, it's a testament to the high school coaches that they're, you know, they're really working on their craft with these kids and their position craft and really paying attention to, you know, what's kind of the trends going on around. And the game has changed, of course, right? So for a lot of the kids that were around here, you know, it's it's – it's it's spitting their skill set for the teams that are recruiting them. You know, like we got we've always had big kids in Nebraska, right? Like linemen, um, but the linemen and the tight ends um, have been really impressive to see. You know, the skill position players you always get one or two, or three or four of those guys, but we have a ton of big kids and we have a ton of big, strong, fast kids um, that are pretty uh, pretty athletic. So that's. That's the part for me that's been exciting is to see the big the, the, the big boys get some love. Those big guys, I mean, it seems like you, you throw a dodgeball anywhere and you're going to hit kids that are 6'5 and two bills and above, and they can run, specifically that tight end position. Why do you think there's so many high-level tight ends in the region? The, the game. You know, the game changing. You know, before those kids – would have been would have been made to be like inline blocking tight ends, right? right. Or inline, or or they would have made them tackles or guards. Now, because the game is so vertical with the passing game, those kids that are big and athletic now get a chance to display that skill set. Where before, you know, a lot of those kids would have just played basketball, or they wouldn't have played football because they're like, well, if I play football, all I'm going to be doing is blocking. Mm-hmm. Now. Now they now they have a chance to go out and, and and show that athletic ability and and run routes and jump over the top of people and catch balls and it's more exciting for them now. You know the game changed from being more of a ground game to more of a passing game, so those kids have gotten more opportunities now because that's that's their skill set. What type of uh, changes and evolution have you seen? on the lines of scrimmage, specifically, you know, your forte, the defensive side. What type of tricks in your tool bag do you need to play D-line nowadays? It, it, it's still the same. The defensive line for me is still the same stuff. You've got to have great feet. 
Um, you got to have good hands and you got to be physical. That part's never going to change with defensive line and offensive line play. Um, the, the, the best thing about it now is that these kids are more athletic because they're doing more training that's developing athleticism, right? It's just not about, it's just not about the weight room anymore. And, you know, as we kind of laugh as a staff, you know, being guys that have played in the NFL, so many of these kids just get caught up. I need to lift a ton of weight, and I need to be strong, and, you know, the old Husker power stuff. But that's not, that's not football anymore. You know, like you've got to be able to move, and these kids now are, are figuring that out. We always used to say as a staff and as coaches, you know, the weights don't fight back. You know what I mean? Those weights, you can, you can move away. You can move 300 pounds in a weight room, but can you move a 300-pound man that's moving his feet and fighting back? And so kids are starting to figure that out. So we still got a long way to come in that area. You know, still, still people still put a whole lot in, you know, just thinking they need to lift six, 700 pounds, and you don't. Um, you need to be able to move, and you need to be flexible, and you need to be a- athletic. And with the academy, that's what we focus on is making sure you're big, strong, and athletic because that's the, that's, that's the game. Once you get to the next level, it's about being athletic. It's not just about being strong. Strong is – Strong is something that you've got to check off in the first box anyway. If you're not strong, you're not going to play. Mm. So that's not something that's a, that's a basic requirement. Now you've got to go beyond the basic. Steve Warren's with us. The Warren Academy, the Dream Foundation, Hale Varsity Radio. Past weekend you had the Warren Academy Showcase. Steve, 142 kids and some, some high-profile recruits. Deshaun Woods, Carney, a kid, of course, a kid from... Uh, down south of Lincoln uh, with Norris and Thomas Fedoni. And uh, the, the, the whole world kind of knows about Thomas Fedoni uh, around this region, not only with you know, his recruitment, but also just uh, what he has been able to display uh, with that size and athleticism. And what do you remember about Thomas when he first came to your camp? Well, he started with us about a year and a half, two years ago, so a little over two years ago now. Um, and the first thing I remember about him is like how long and athletic he was. Like he wasn't, he didn't have the mass that he has now. He was just more, he looked more like a, like a basketball player to tell you the truth. Um, he was just really long and, but he had tremendous hands. He's always had those tremendous hands, but he's worked his tail off to get stronger. He's gotten quicker. Um, he looks like a college athlete right now. Um, and, but, but the one thing I remember about him is just his length and, his ability to get to, to to catch the ball almost in any rarity is he I don't know if I've ever seen him really drop a ball. He's got tremendous hands. Well, the just the the footage I saw him, the way he comes out of his breaks and and the way he's able to to pinpoint the ball and yeah I again I was not there Saturday but just you're right with his hands but you mix that hands with the athleticism. Is it fair to say yeah. you've seen a shift? I mean. A lot of the basketball kids that, that want to play football or, or those multiple sport guys uh, thriving in football, is, is that – have you seen them be able to focus the different parts of their athleticism into football from different sports? Yeah, I think I've seen we, – we've seen that now, you know, kids that are multi-sport athletes, and we're, we're a multi-sport athlete organization. We don't believe kids should specialize. Mm-hmm. Um, so – we're we're seeing that with the kids that we know. Most of the kids that we have play one, play at least two sports, um, and that's good for them. You know, they're 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 able to you know cross train and to be able to get uh, a different exposure to athleticism, and it translates to the football field. 
Um, so we're, we're definitely seeing that in our game. Steve, uh, a thought here as, you know, you, you want to do this showcase. You've wanted to put a showcase on and bring kids together with coaches and, and get the exposure, 142 kids for this, for this first showcase. You know, how does it get bigger and how does it get better next season? What, what do you want to do uh, as you move forward? Well, it, it'll definitely be an annual event. Um, we got great reviews from all the coaches. Um, that were able to be in attendance and, of course, all the riders that were there. Um, a lot of the parents that have been traveling around the different uh, combines and showcases, um, a lot of them told us that, you know, this is the best one they've been to. Um, so that was good to hear as our very first one. But, you know, we're football guys, so we understand the difference with us with a lot of other groups that try to do this is, you know, we've got the background and everything from the speed and agility to the to the strength training to – combine prep to coaching and position drills we've got it all in house um and that's what makes us a lot different than anybody else is that um we don't have to specialize in one thing because we have somebody that does it all and we've all been through it at a high level and there's no other group that can say that so we're we're, we just took our expertise and we poured it into one day something we've been wanting to do for a while and the time was just perfect for us to do it. And then the need was there more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just went and fulfilled that need. Steve, when it comes to recruitment, do you want the best for the kids? And uh, if, if you're asked, I'm sure there's advice you can give on the other side of things. Who did you lean on during your recruitment process? That's how we started the interview. That's how I want to kind of end it. You know, it's it's a different time, and uh, there's eyes everywhere, which is a great thing for kids who want to go play ball. How are you able to, to sift through all of these offers and, and kind of land where you landed? I was fortunate that I had an older brother that um, played college football at the Division two level, so he had been through it somewhat um, from recruiting and, you know, talking to coaches and, and kind of what to do, what not to do. Um, but, of course, you know, my experience was was a lot different than his at the level that we were getting recruited at. Um, so there was a lot of it that I, that I kind of just learned on the fly. Um, but my older brother definitely helped me out. Um, there weren't a lot of guys in my area at the time that, that had that experience, so it was – it was definitely just, you know, talking to my coaches, um, talking to my parents, and then just just paying attention to my gut. That's what we tell these kids now is, you know, you, you'll, you'll know if something feels right if it doesn't feel right. If something feels off, it's off. Um, if something feels good and it feels like that's the way it's supposed to be, then it, it's good. But also don't fall in love with recruiting. These, jo- these guys' job when they're recruiting you is – their job is to make you fall in love with their school, right? <laughs> but once you get there, that all changes. No matter where you go, it all changes because once you get to school, it now becomes your job and responsibility to become a player. And so all the nice gift wrap clothes and the pictures and the stuff that they do for you, then all that changes. All that changes. The recruiting part is a fairy tale. The real work comes afterwards, so don't fall in love with the fairy tale. Do you talk to kids about social media at all with with the recruitment process, just yeah. the fan base? I mean, that's fan base is, is passionate at a lot of spots, but uh, that's something that, that is real, and kids can get caught up in it, can't they? Yeah, they, they, it's easy to get caught up in it. And, you know, they, these kids have a, a very tough job these days because there's so much exposure and there's so many cameras and there's so many things going on and 
so much instant access to stuff, and sometimes that's dangerous. Um, but for the most part, most of the kids that we deal with are pretty mature kids. Mm-hmm. Um, as mature as you can be at 16, 17 years old, of course, but sure. they're, they're pretty mature kids. And the ones that get it, you know, get what you use social media for and what you do and what you do not do on social media. Steve, best to you. Congrats on your success. And we'll do this again. Thanks for a few minutes. Thanks for having me. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Back into it at Tail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. All things football. Let's get caught up with Cedric Golden from the Austin American Statesman. You follow Ced on Twitter at Ced Golden. And uh, you catch his podcast, if you haven't, you should, on Second Thought is where you can uh, check out Cedric's thoughts. Cedric, what's up, man? How you doing? You being safe and healthy? You okay? Man, I'm great, Chris. I know. I know the Texas is the new hot spot, and that uh, I guess aside from Florida, and those are for all the wrong reasons. So I'm I'm chilling out at the house and uh, just hope hoping things get better, uh, not only in Texas but in all of America and the globe. I uh, second those thoughts, Cedric. What's the 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 feel? Speak if you can to, to Texas high school ball. Let's start with high school this fall, and what's what's the word out of the Lone Star State in your region in Austin and, and beyond? Are, are they moving forward with high school ball? Apparently they are, Chris. Um, I know the University Interscholastic League, which is the governing body of Texas high school athletics, uh, they released a statement a couple of weeks ago where they're they're moving they're moving back the big classes, class five A and class six A are moving back a couple of weeks. Their openers. But classes 1A through 4A are business as usual. So they're planning on having high school football. I'm kind of surprised by that because I just really think uh, when you look at the, uh, the, the massive amount of money it might take to, to test all of these kids that, that test positive, to make sure if you're doing it with fans in the stands, to make sure that the fans are, are, um, are, are not positive mm-hmm. and that they're not running fevers up around 100, which is a symptom. So, to me, I think these school districts are going to be really challenged to keep up as far as the money is concerned, um, as opposed to high, as opposed to college and the pros, where they have money to, to take care of these kind of things. So, if you're asking me today, I just don't know how they can do it. If things don't change, I don't know how you have high school football anywhere, because it's not a money maker, and we all know, Chris, that a lot of these colleges and pro leagues are forging ahead because there's so much money to be made. Don't disagree with you on that. I mean, uh, TV money is is vital in uh, the college world, and, and, of course, it's lucrative there and in the NFL. Cedric, what's your take with the, the thought uh, about Texas Stadium where Bevo and, and, and all those Longhorn fans congregate? You've been to that field so many times covering texas football what's your reaction to 50 percent capacity is that uh pie in the sky or do you think that that is something that that maybe is a reality i really like chris del conte he's he's, he's great to deal with the ad but when he, when, when he came out with that i was like it just doesn't make any sense to me Fifty thousand people in a hundred thousand seat stadium 
elbow to elbow. Uh, that's not that doesn't exactly scream social distances, social distancing. And what I'm hearing here of late is that they may go down to 25 percent, which to me makes a lot more sense. Uh, if you can get 25,000 people in there and have everybody be six feet apart, that sounds more doable to me than a 50 percent. So. I, I, I don't envision any stadium being half full. If things stay like they are right now, Chris, there's no re- there's no way that Memorial Stadium in Lincoln will be half full or DKR in Austin will be half full. They're going to probably go one-quarter capacity if that. But to me, the public health is still number one. I know people love sports. I love it. It's our livelihood, Chris. But uh, I want people to be safe first and foremost. Cedric Golden's with us, Austin American Statesman, joining us, Hale Varsity Radio, his podcast on Second Thought, at said Golden on Twitter. What's your feel with the Big 12? I know there's going to be a virtual media day uh, on Monday with the Big 12. We're still waiting word on the Big 10 as they're trying to kind of nail down their schedule, and there's been meetings ongoing throughout the week, and the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12 were supposed to come out today with some scheduling thoughts. Sounds like August 4th may be the next announcement date. Things got pushed back there. But what's your reaction to, to 12 games for the Big 12? Is that a reality? I know Oklahoma and the NCAA gave uh, blanket uh, ability to to kick off week zero. That's the the, the last part of August and Oklahoma is going to do that. But what do you think here with the Big 12 moving forward? If we get football, do they try and get 12 games in? Do we see LSU, Texas? I know they, I know they want to get 12, man, and I know, I know they're pushing forward. Uh, but you don't want to miss out on that payday that, that is LSU, Texas. Um, I just, I just, I'm very skeptical that they're going to be able to play a full schedule. I wouldn't be surprised if they pushed it back a couple of weeks. I know you moved their game to the 29th mm-hmm. of August, but I just think that um, it might be better to to give to give science another month to see if they can curtail this thing. Uh, with that said, um, I do like the idea of a of a plus one for the Big 12, which is basically uh, one non-conference game and then play the, the regular round-robin nine-game schedule and play ten games. The SEC seems to be on board with something similar. Theirs would be probably be a plus two where they would play two non-conference games and then ten conference games. So I, I think the fewer games you play and the, the more you limit travel, like Alabama, I believe, was going was to play USC in Dallas to start mm-hmm. the season. And that's been canceled because the Pac-12 decided to go with conference only. So I just think if you could just make it more of a regional schedule and cut down on those really long trips, I think it might be better off uh, moving forward. Uh, The positive tests are going to happen, Chris. We know that. Uh, You you see what's going on with the bubbles, the NBA, the NFLs. Uh, the the bub- I mean the NBA's and the and the NHLs the bubble idea is working for those leagues. I think the NFL should take note, and and so should MLB. Even though MLB is already off and running. Yeah, MLB has been an inter- an interesting kind of sideshow <laughs> this week 
with, oh, I know. with with their with their their no bubble, and uh, you look at the the the, uh, the Marlins uh, situation. But you're right, the the bubble idea has worked, and the NBA released their numbers with with zero positive tests, and they've been able to do that. The NHL's got a couple of hub cities. What, what you know, as many NFL guys as you know, and as many Cowboy games as you've covered. How would NFL dudes feel about bubble, uh, a mandatory bubble versus threats of a fine, which was put out there earlier this week? You know what? I just think, I just think that it'd be tougher for a, for football, where there's more football players on a team than there are hockey players or NBA players. So a bubble is a little bit would take a little bit more doing. I just don't. I don't know why they didn't just consider maybe. Venues like uh, the the New York Jets and the, and the uh, Giants have a a new stadium. Uh, the Chargers and Rams have a new stadium uh, for the West Coast. Jerry World would be a good yeah. spot for the southern southeastern teams. So uh, I just think that it makes a lot of sense if you can if you can somehow corral teams and just keep them in one spot, centralize them or whatever. And limit the travel. You know, when it comes to MLB, I don't. Uh, I was watching ESPN the other day, Chris, and Eduardo Perez, a former player who does a great job as an analyst for their MLB coverage, had a great idea. He goes, "Why don't we just eliminate clubhouses altogether? You dress at the hotel, go to the game. The starting nine are in the dugout. Everybody else is spread out in the stands and in the bullpens." And and then once once the game is over, you you don't go to the clubhouse. You go back to the hotel. You get dressed, and, and that's how you do it. And it would be an advantage to the home team. Maybe you can let the home team keep their clubhouse. But as far as road clubhouses, why would you why would you even need to be in a clubhouse the way things are right now? I would just keep it. I would the the fewer places you visit, it cuts down on the chance of you getting infected. Cedric Golden's with us. Couple more minutes. Hail Varsity Radio show and go. That would uh, that would work out well, uh, and, and maybe it's an idea. Last thought here is, is kids return to campus. We're talking hubs. <laughs> What's the likelihood once the the regular student body shows back onto campus, interactions are kept to a minimum? And I'm talking about the the news on Rutgers. What what kind of sparked? their outbreak, uh, i.e. a house party or several parties and get-togethers. That's the fun of college, Cedric, especially that first week, man, going out and checking out the student body. Uh, But for the most part, a lot of football programs during the summer session, they've done a good job of keeping their dudes kind of away from things, but it's a whole different animal when when kids show up on campus. Do you think uh, we're on the verge of uh, tipping the wrong way once – Students come back on campus. I do. I mean, well, I was I was I was nineteen years old once. <laughs> I went to college. I remember the good old days. I remember going out, and I I, rem, I remember the chase. And college students do college stuff, Chris. And we're not going to keep young people from hanging out. Now, the best the 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 best teams are going to be the ones where the coaches are going to be able to go look. You're not going out for the next five months. Learn to live with it or transfer. There's not going to be any partying. We're going to sequester. Um, 
you know, you're not you're not going to be out and about. You're going to spend your time at the facility and at your apartment, and we're going to check up on you. I mean, I'm telling you, man, it is a tough of undertaking because everybody knows what college is all about, and young people like to do young people stuff. I'm not, I am not hating on that because I was young once. But, but to think that you're going to be able to control this, I just don't see it happening. I think I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I hope I'm wrong, but I think the teams that are able to control uh, the social activities of their players are going to be the ones that are going to have the fewest tests. Don't disagree with you on that. We'll see how, uh, how receptive guys are to it. Cedric Golden's with us, Austin American Statesman. And, uh, of course, uh, listen to him, his podcast on Second Thought. Follow Cedric at Ced Golden. Cedric, man, this was good to get caught up. We'll uh, check in here as we get into some football season. Hopefully, man, uh, stay safe and healthy, and thanks for a few minutes with us. You too, brother. Take care, Chris. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hale Varsity Radio. I got the body of a hot, preteen Swedish boy. Back to you, Tail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Time for a Jock Doc Wednesday, and Dr. Brad Webb is with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center. Dr. Brad, thanks for a few minutes. How's your Wednesday going? Hey, it's going very well. I appreciate you for the opportunity today. Hey, man, it'll be good to chat, and nice to have you back on uh, the Jock Doc again, Dr. Brad Webb. And you know what? It's been a crazy, crazy few days for Major League Baseball. It wasn't that long ago we got the report that uh, Justin Verlander, the uh, outstanding ace for the Astros, was going to be shut down, had elbow issues. And was going to be lost for the season. Justin Verlander took to Twitter and said, not so fast, my friends. But uh, the long and short of this is there is a forearm strain, Dr. Brad. Tell us what Verlander's going through here. What, what the, the, the nature of the injury is and what it's uh, affecting him with when it comes to throwing. Yeah, and I, it's a very interesting topic. You assume they're going to tell you it's a forearm sprain because um, he probably didn't end up tearing his medial ulnar collateral ligament. That's the one that everybody talks about with throwers and the requirement for Tommy John syndrome. Uh, you have to assume that he probably only has a partial tear versus a full tear because if it was a complete tear, why wouldn't they just come out and say, hey, he needs surgery, he's out for the rest of the year. But my guess is the fact that he came back on and tweeted is maybe that the MRI is their general term is just saying, hey, he's got a forearm sprain, Maybe he's got a partial tear. They're probably going to do rehab, do an injection of probably stem cells or platelet-rich plasma, try to rehab him in hopes that they may be able to get him back um, by September for playoffs if they make it. Um, I think if he can't and they end up can't getting him back, then I think that he ends up probably going to require surgery. But uh, that would be kind of my best guess. They really have been kind of hush-hush on the exact, but – you know, you talk about pitchers, and they're only saying medial form, and then some reports are saying elbow. You have to assume it's probably requiring his or discussing his medial ulnar collateral ligament, which is the one we always talk about at pitchers, whether they're little leaders or professional, um, requiring Tommy John syndrome. Well, and, and you look at the forearm bone, and 
That's mm-hmm. li- that's literally the the elbow bone. Yep. So when we talk strain here, you know what's best case is is it uh, some some re- rehab, some injections, some rest, and then you know can he be back? What's a, what's a expedited return or is that just too dangerous based on as great as he is he isn't a spring chicken anymore i mean he's he's logged a lot of innings uh what's what's the smart play here uh as far as you know as soon as he can get back on the hill yeah i mean that's the multi-million dollar question they're wanting to know themselves i mean i think regardless the long term whether they get him back too quick or not if he requires surgery he requires surgery whether it's torn fully or they're going to try to see if they can get him back for this season um you know if they have to do surgery he's out the rest of the year and probably through next season before he's back to uh pitching professionally again but so i think that their goal is if they can try to get him back which my assumption is he probably only has a partial tear because if it was a full tear why would they just come out and say yep he's done he's going to have tommy john syndrome tommy john surgery and then start him in that process so their hopes is is that He's either strained or has a partial tear. Um, their hopes that he can get back, and by doing some rehab and um, some injections, that I think they're going to try to get him back as soon as they can, but mm-hmm. safely. Couple weeks here is is some reports that that say that's when Verlander could be back. We're talking Justin Verlander. What's going on with his elbow? The uh, the forearm strain, as he is deeming it, and Doctor Brad Webb is with us. A jock doc Wednesday, Lincoln Orthopedic Center, and you look at Verlander, man. Uh, where does time go? Sixteen seasons, right? His first Cy Young award was. 2011 uh he's nearing that 300 win total he's at 226 now career era of 333 so let's go to some of the the injections here that that are options between stem cells and platelet rich plasma and for folks wondering or thinking about injections kind of give us your take here on 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 prp and how that can really help heal somebody, specifically a guy that's that's still throwing in the upper 90s. Yeah, I mean, I think there's not all the research that we'd like to see in terms of what are the actual true benefits. Um, you know, we take our own healing factors from our blood. And that's what, you know, the plasma, mm-hmm. the platelet-rich plasma, they'll spin it down from your actual blood. And they take that and inject those factors right into an area that needs healing. So we're trying to take all the good things from our blood that helps us heal and trying to put it in an area of injury in hopes that our body can heal this quicker. I mean, he's 37 years old. I mean, he's it's an amazing. He's had an amazing career so far. It's hard to believe, you know, he's he's pitched for four consecutive seasons where he started over 33 times. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's had some serious throwing time over these uh, his career. And so our hopes is is that best case scenario with these injections and trying to get a jump start help to help the process by injecting this platelet-rich plasma that we can get him healing and on the road of recovery and not require surgery if that's the case that ends up happening you know are there are there any uh, forgive me for asking but when it comes to other steps that that verlander can take what are your thoughts Uh, i mean yes rest but is it ice is it heat what what are some 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 non uh some non uh, PRP or stem cell yeah. injections that are out there that he may be doing. 
It's, it's hard. So there's not a lot of great treatments for this uh, injury pattern. If it is involving his medial ulnar collateral ligament, it is rest ice. It's a very regimented um, physical therapy program where they're strengthening the flexors of the forearm, the pronators, all in helping to strengthen that side of the elbow, the, the inside of the elbow. And, and it's really it's just it's recovery. Um, it's trying to allow the body to try to heal. And the only addition we really have is trying to inject you know, your own platelet-rich plasma or stem cells to see if we can initiate or kind of supercharge this healing process. That's kind of the part we don't know if it's going to take, and we hope for the best for his career. Last thought here is uh, we're talking about Justin Verlander and what happens with him in this 2020 season. Dr. Brad Webb is with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center, a jock doc Wednesday. Is age a concern for you? You mentioned the the number of innings and starts and just what Verlander has logged uh, the last five seasons. Uh, I think he's in great shape, and, and I know he started pitching as a young pup uh, back with Detroit, but 37's not old, but it's it's not young either in Major League Baseball. Is there just too many miles on this arm, in your opinion? Uh, I mean, you hope not. Uh, I mean, he's the ace. He's, uh, he's got a heck of a career, and and a phenomenal throwing arm. So you think you never want to rely on age. You just hope that he's continually doing this appropriately and, and not rushing it. I mean, I think that as we age and as many throws that he's had on that elbow, it's probably not going to respond as it was in his early part of his career. But, um, I mean, he's a pro athlete. These guys heal at a rate a lot better than the average you and I. So it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting thing to see what happens. Well, good on him at the age of 36, winning the Cy Young last season. Verlander's about as good as it gets. And uh, we thank yeah. Dr. Brandon Webb, Lincoln Orthopedic Center, a Jock Doc Wednesday. Dr. Brad, thanks for a few minutes. We'll get caught up again. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you for the time. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. What final time on a Wednesday. Good stuff this hour from Cedric Golden, Steve Warren. Thanks to them for jumping on tomorrow. We are loaded up. Our friends from Pick 6 Previews going to be on. Talk some college football, some Big Ten projections as uh, their 2020 preview is out. And uh, it's good stuff, man. It's uh, going to be fun to get get caught up with Brett from Pick 6 Previews. Gary Barnett will join us. We should have, we may have an announcement from the Big Ten tomorrow. Schedule-wise, Brandon Vogel, of course, from Hale Varsity. And the pride of Chicago, Danny Burke. Burke's best bets. We'll get some thoughts. So I'm thinking that Kelly's suspension, that'll probably get reduced. What do you say? Five? You think he'll appeal and get it down to five? I don't know if they're going to overturn it. I really don't. That's excessive, especially in a 60-game. It's excessive, but at the same time, with this warrant an eight-game suspension in a normal season, I think it'd be high, but I can see the MLB pulling it out. I think it's, a, I think it's, a, I think it's three-game. I think in the in, current- in, a, in, a, in a regular in a regular season, it's a three game with Kelly. I think they can knock it down to six or five. But if you're the next guy who throws in an Astro, 
Yeah, then then, then you're going to get hammered. You're going to get the book thrown at you. I, I enjoyed the uh, the back and forth, and you don't go at someone's head, obviously. But I think there's still <laughs> Kelly was pretty funny. There's still questions to me whether or not he was actually throwing at the head. The dudes had he struggled to control his fastball most of his career. That, that that's true, and but the. The taunting, the verbal part of it was pretty good. I, I don't believe that it was a mistake when he threw at Correa. I think the Bregman one on 3-0, okay, maybe he lost Slip. the fastball. No, the Correa part. I mean, that, that's the footage I'm talking about that was yeah, kind of priceless. He probably threw at him there. But, I mean, getting off the field, that was hilarious. Mm-hmm. That was, I mean, did you hear uh, where they went and took the audio up and they got what Correa was saying? Where he said, oh, if I would have hit a homer, I would have just walked to home. <laughs> and... Kelly's basically like, what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I mean, if, if I got a, an Astros player to swing and miss on a breaking ball at any point this year, I'm letting them know about it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that was a filthy breaking ball that he got Correa to, to whiff on. Exactly. And, it, and then he let him know about it. I'm sure Correa could have hit it if he would have had the trash cans banging. Well, he knew it was coming. Yeah, if he would have known it was coming. You can get ready. And that's what I'm saying. Is I, I'm letting every single Astros player this year know about it if I'm pitching. So you are doing what tonight? Do you have a, a schedule this weekend uh, of uh, umping? Uh, no, I believe I worked my last game of the year last year. We'll oh, see. With, uh, there's always late assignments. People mm-hmm. dropping games. So we'll see. But plan for tonight is to dive into some last chance you. Okay. New season came out. Uh, yeah, I got through the first episode last night. So I, uh, I've been, uh, I motored through the uh, the latest uh, Fear City mm. uh, on Netflix. That was a three one hour episodes when it comes to the mafia in New York City in the seventies and eighties and um, Franzis. I was looking into featured. watching that one. Is that one? It's awesome. It's awesome. It's really well done, so, and it's it's a little different. A lot of times these kind of dive and trend towards John Gotti and, and he's part of it, but the uh, the story about how they took the commission down is really really pretty fascinating. See, for a while there I had nothing to watch, but now I'm through a season and a half of Ozark, thanks for the recommendation. Mm-hmm. I finally got into that. Got Last Chance you to watch. I want to watch this uh, Fear City. Yeah, get Fear City. Franz East with us Tuesday. Ooh, I'll be out then. But. Well, you'll you'll hear it on the old podcast. Get the podcast, alevarsity.com. Good stuff today. Thanks to Steve Warren, Mike Babcock, and uh, our, our friends uh, tomorrow. Garnett with us. Talk to you then.